Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. My name is Tavita, and I'm here with Ryan. Ryan has just come from, uh, I forget where he comes from. Baltimore. Oh, Baltimore. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. And he's just coming to volunteer in Haiti. We're just going to talk a little bit about um, what he's doing here and why he's doing it. Yeah. So, Ryan, can you introduce yourself to some of the viewers? Sure. My name is Ryan. I'm a third-year orthopedic surgery resident at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm in Haiti for two weeks helping out Dr. Scott Nelson do some trauma and pediatric cases here in Carrefour. Why did you decide to do it? I've been wanting to go to Haiti for a long time, probably since I was like 10 years old. Um, I uh <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I've been wanting to go to Haiti since I was about 10 years old. I grew up with French-speaking grandparents and parents who um, encouraged me to speak French since I was little. So having an opportunity to use my French in a medical setting has always been a dream. And then I did a handful of uh, outreach trips from the time when I was in middle school through high school and medical school. And I... Uh <laughs> I uh, um, only worked in Spanish-speaking countries, so um, transitioning to a Creole or French-speaking country to help people here and use some of my orthopedic skills was something that I was really excited about. Oh, nice. I see on your shirt you're, it says sports medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like noticing that. Did you try to do sports? Were you going into, when you went to school, What what did you what school did you go to initially? When you were doing your med school? Oh, I was at Mercer Medical School, which is in Atlanta. But this is a, this is a freebie. This was handed out at a, at a basketball game. So. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, you're going to do sports medicine and then move from sports medicine up into surgery, surgery? Or were you always focused on doing orthopedic surgery? I actually didn't know that I w was going to go to medical school until like the third year of undergrad. Third year, so uh -huh. then you just crammed all those classes? Yeah, pretty much. So I, I was thought I was going to do pharmacy school. I worked in a pharmacy, and I was like, oh, this isn't for me. And then I worked in a PT clinic, and I was going to go to physical therapy school. And then the same thing happened. And so I was like, oh, well, I guess the last like medical-associated option is medical school, so I'll just go for that instead. Wow. So that was just third choice, yeah, just yeah. medical third, school? Third option. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Okay, so then when you did medical school, what got you into orthopedic surgery? Um, a few things. First of all, I definitely knew I wanted to do surgery uh, just because being in the OR is amazing. And uh, some of the other specialties uh, had some aspects about them that I wasn't crazy about. And then between the surgical subspecialties, I just got along with both the patients and the other residents and surgeons best in orthopedics. But for a while, I considered things like plastic surgery or vascular surgery or even general surgery. Um, and honestly, I probably would have had a great time doing any of them, but I just felt like I fit the best in orthopedic surgery. Oh, 
um, Scott was talking about people with the type of mind for orthopedic surgery. He was mm-hmm. just like, there's a certain type of person. It takes a certain type of like mechanical understanding how things work and why things work a certain way that makes it so that it's easier to understand. So you say that, do you do mechanics on top of it? Do you fix things on the side or anything like that as well? So I grew up fixing docks on Lake Huron, doing like a lot of like woodworking. So maybe that's, that's kind of lead what led me towards orthopedic surgery. But, um, I would say there's like a, why there's a lot of people that I think get orthopedic surgery intuitively because they have some sort of like woodworking or mechanic background or something like that. But people come from like all different walks of life and still fall into orthopedic surgery and excel regardless of what they've done in the past. So I have some classmates that were like artists or some that were journalists, some that were like physicists and others that um, like grew up in Lebanon and did a bunch of work um, in general surgery before going to orthopedics. So I, I don't think that there's definitely what one cookie cutter type of orthopedic surgeon, but certainly people that have a background with like working with their hands and woodworking are more commonly found in orthopedic surgery than other people. And you did orthopedic surgery. So after you finish your undergrad, mm-hmm. uh, then you finish through med school because you're insane. I don't even know how many credits you took. How many credits did you take that fourth year? Uh, I, I don't know, actually. <laughs> <I> don't know. <laughs> you I like maxed maybe. out or something? <laughs> like 20, I 30? I don't know. I don't remember what the credit maximum was or how many I took, but I was working hard. That's for sure. Okay. You're just sweating bullets. And then you took your exam and then you moved over. And then what schools did you apply for? So going, let's go to the school part. Were you a really good student? Like, oh, I was a terrible student. <laughs> <laughs> You're like killing I was, it. I was the worst student. Yeah, in undergrad, I was the opposite of killing it. Um, oh. And then it was killing you. Yeah, yeah. Someone, <laughs> something was being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you weren't a really good student, but you were like, okay. You're okay enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like a passable student. Okay. I wasn't failing anything, but I definitely wasn't like okay GPA number. Days. Is it? If you don't mind, you don't have to wait. No. Th- why does it matter? It doesn't matter. So you can just say it. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I, I honestly don't remember. It was definitely, it was definitely less than a 4.0, um, but it was higher than a 3.0 because that's what I needed to keep my, <laughs> yeah, uh, my scholarship. <laughs> so somewhere in between those two. Oh, nice. But I honestly don't remember. And then when you finished uh, your MCAT, mm-hmm. uh, so then I know your MCAT score matters when you're mm-hmm. applying whatever yeah. it was, and you did pretty well. Yeah, I did. I did well. I do decent on standardized testing, mm-hmm. but the MCAT scores have changed since when I took it. So I don't actually, like, I don't know what okay. my MCAT score would equivalent would be now. But uh, what was it then? It was a 36 then. 36, okay. Yeah. What's the highest? Then was a 40, but I don't know what I don't know wow. what the equivalent is now. <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> 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 well, okay. So 36 and 40 was like the top score. Right. And then what was like the bottom? Like you could still get in med school, but still be competitive, like 20? Uh yeah, I think like maybe mid twenties or so. Mid twenties. Yeah. Okay. So you did pretty well on that exam. And then what school did you go to? Uh, so I went to Mercer Medical School. Mercer. Oh mm-hmm. no, when you finished medical school. Oh, then I then I started at Johns Hopkins for residency, which is oh. where I'm at now. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, get that? Um, 
so the process is kind of crazy for all it's not just orthopedic surgery it's for all residencies but basically you um most medical students have to do some sort of sub i or sub internship or way rotation to basically like a month of working at another hospital with other residents as like a month-long interview more or less oh wow and then you get rec letters from the surgeons or other attendings that you work with and then you go on you apply to depending on what specialty you're working in anywhere between like 20 or 100 programs and then they send you interview invites and then you go on x number of interviews and then at the end of that process is something called the match so you basically rank the programs that you want in order of like one to 20 or however many you interviewed at and programs do the same for all the applicants and then there's this like black box algorithm that no one really knows exactly how it works but on march 15th every year the algorithm spits out all the applicants and matches them at all the programs and so everyone finds out the same day where they're going ouch mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually have some friends that were like really sad yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, like a depressing time for med students at that time it can be like a really weird day because some people like some of your friends are really excited and other people aren't but everyone opens their letter at the same time so Ooh. you don't, so don't want to like jump up if you're like super pumped about where you matched because you don't know if like other people are like really in a, in a bad place <laughs> right, so ah uh, so then after you finished all that and you got your match you went to john hopkins which i'm sure you're super stoked yeah mm-hmm. super stoked and then you finally went out there was it everything you thought it was uh it's an amazing experience yeah it is a ton of work mm-hmm. but you no one goes into residency thinking that it's going to be a cakewalk yeah and so um like saying that it's going to be you know, saying that it's everything that you expect it to be is probably not the right way of phrasing it. Got it. Because there's always new things to learn and always um, uh, things that you don't expect to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been an incredible experience. So your mindset going into all of this, because there's a breaking point in every person, right? Like uh, when you're sitting there and then like that little bed that you get in the hospital to take a nap and you're right. like, there's no way I'm going to be able to wake up if I sleep right now. So I'm just like, I'm going to close my eyes like on a chair or something. I don't know. My <laughs> friends just say like, it's so stressful. <laughs> but like when you're in there in that mindset where you're about to break, like what do you think about? You're like, I'm going to go to the gym or you think like I'm going to eat something or like do is there a quote or something that goes to your mind that gets you to keep going even though mm. – it's like, dude, I'm going to be doing this all month long. Or I'm going to be doing this all quarter all long. Day, yeah, yeah, all day. Um, yeah, on, I think the most stressful part about residency is call shifts. And especially towards the beginning of, of residency. Because there is so much to learn like, so quickly. What's and, call shifts? Um, so call shifts are when you, at least at our program, when you're holding a pager and all of the orthopedic consults that come through the hospital mm-hmm. are sent to that pager. So you're responsible for all the, all the new orthopedic patients that come into the hospital. So that's like pediatric patients, spine patients, hand patients, trauma patients. Um, and so you're working 24 hours and anything, you know, like anything can come through the door and you have no idea what, when or what's going to happen. 
and most of the time it's it's so busy that you don't really have time to sit down and like feel stressed like you were talking about like i don't sit down and like <laughs> try to go to sleep or think about a quote or like anything like that uh-huh. but um the thing that keeps me going is thinking about patients and trying to picture each patient like like one of my family members like a grant like depending on their age like a grandparent mm-hmm. or like my parents or my sister and just trying to think about like okay if that person was someone in my family what would i do to help that person mm. and even if it's like 3 a.m and it's been like a really long shift and it's been super stressful like keeping that mindset helps keep me grounded and make sure that all the people get the best care that i can give them ah and so that's what you think about that gets you through surgery that gets you through that next person to not bring all that attitude and <laughs> all that <laughs> misery right, right. <laughs> into that next person. You're like, this is a new person. Exactly. We're restarting. Yeah. Um, they have no idea who I am and I don't know anything that, you know, who they are. And we're just going a clean slate and I'm just going to go in and do my best. I'm exhausted, but you're not going to say you're exhausted. You're like, I'm just going to be focused and focused. Cause I noticed also you have like a pretty good workout routine that you, you like to maintain yeah and so i can tell okay this guy was like working out and he's like pushing logs and stuff and i have a gym <laughs> that i don't share no, <laughs> i didn't even know i had a gym he's not but kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then i was like oh he has like a really like strict like not strict it seems strict to me because in my mind it's like you can tell when somebody's a little bit off like if you're not on your workout routine and you normally have it, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, like I need to move. I got to do something else. So this exercise routine that you have come up with yourself to torture mm-hmm. yourself right. um, and not me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what do you uh, what? Why do you do that? Um, I, I don't know. I just need to move. You need to move. <laughs> you need so to do the that. Short, the short of it. I, I think um, doing something outside the hospital every day is super important for me. And like some people like to read, some people like to work or do other things or play sports or play musical instruments. And I just need to go to the gym. That's like my way to blow off steam. Mm. And it's a way to just like totally forget about everything else that's going on during the day or like anything that's happened or anything that's going to happen tomorrow and just like have a moment to myself. It's like my like meditation, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I can totally, I can totally see that. I can totally see it. The the people in pain are those that are in the gym, right? And then the more yoke they are, the more in pain they are. But if they drink and they go to the gym, those people are hurt people, right? (laughs) Those are like the major, major. No, I think it's pretty cool. So you do exercise a lot. Also, I know you eat pretty healthily. At least you try to. You try to maintain some type of like. And that's one thing that I have noticed, like there's this this consistency. Mm. Dr. Nelson, the one that we have a conversation with and see all the time, there's like something that's very consistent with his life. Mm. Like he tries to run every morning, mm. like his routine is to right. go in the pool. Like there's like these very routine things. I could close my eyes and be like, that's Nelson, mm. you know, because he's very routine. So is it very helpful for you to have these routines just to clear? Because you just said clearing up your mind and everything like right. that, like the food and also the diet exercise is not really for that. It's like for your mental clarity. Is that? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people use it for like physical health, but they may not really be intentional about the like mental health aspect of it. And I think especially for people that work in the healthcare field, a lot of things like like health routines 
are more about control than anything because when you walk in the hospital you have little to no control about anything mm-hmm. that walks in um, and you're like doing everything that you can or that you know you can do for patients but ultimately it's up to the patients to like follow through with the plans that you come up with together yeah and so a lot of what we do as uh, and what you do and what nurses and physical therapists and other people in the hospital do is out of our control and so having a lot of control over your routine outside the hospital i think is somewhat therapeutic and calming for some Mm -hmm. people whether they think about it that way or not Uh, and you did i'm going to touch on a lot of subjects here so one thing that i did hear about is um you said spirituality like you hit that a little bit like mental health Mm. Um, and this is where we're going to talk about that too. Um, so your mental health, spirituality, like what are you, what are your feelings on those things? I know people don't talk about it much, but it's actually, in my opinion, it's super important when it comes down to like people's mental wellness and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where, how, however it is that you cut the cheese with that, or he, would you mind sharing anything? <laughs> I'm not going to talk about cutting the cheese or anything. <laughs> like that, but, um, I don't know. <laughs> Um, okay, that was I bad. Think, I okay, think uh, I think spirituality is kind of like a spectrum, so I don't really want to talk about like religion yeah. per se, but I think that it is all super important for physical well-being too, which is my job, so it's something that I think about a lot. And I think that people's mental state and spirituality very much plays into like, the healing process and their mindset for like, rehabilitation around injuries and... I think that supporting people in whatever they believe is like one of the best things that we can do as as healthcare professionals. So I try to help reinforce that fact with all the patients that I speak with, whether they like want to speak with a chaplain when they're healing or during the rehab process or anything. I try to encourage that. Um, I try to keep my spirituality completely out of the like how I interact with patients because I don't think any of my beliefs should influence how they feel about their spirituality or their healing process. Mm. Um, but yeah, I couldn't agree more that it's super important and, um, I, like I do everything that I can to help them in that way. Oh, good. Cause one thing that I did notice, at least in my opinion, cause I just try to notice as much as I can, <laughs> but, um, if you don't know, if you don't know who you are coming into any type of thing, whether it's professional, non-professional, whatever it is, I feel like it's always difficult to know your place in the hospital or know your place wherever it is. Like you knew that, so you know that you're a surgeon and you know you're working on a patient the best you possibly can. You're learning and everything it is, but you also know who you are. You're like, this is who I am. I'm gonna exercise, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. But then it's harder for people to like push you off that little, like that railing, I would call it. You know, like you have on these tracks, mm-hmm. you know, it's harder to push somebody off the railing if they know who they are and what they're doing. Yeah. So then to me, I go like, oh, okay. So like, I've just noticed it from Nelson. Nelson has like, these crazy railings. Like, <laughs> his is like, he knows exactly what he's doing and whatever, in my opinion. Like, and he has like these very consistent things that help him maintain. Um, continuity especially when it comes down to even my personal interactions like even I know I act different around Nelson like no matter what because he's like this really cool like he knows what he's doing really to the point and do you feel that 
since this journey, like medical school, all this like life stuff, like mm-hmm. you've started to really develop this uh, like persona. Like you're like, I'm starting to really understand who I am and where I want to be in this world. Uh, do you feel like you're getting more of that now? So because more so the reason why I'm talking about that is because mission trips is like this yeah. or other people like to call it, say humanitarian mm-hmm. acts or or kindness acts, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, do you feel that? because you've been pushing yourself like in this certain type of direction you've been able to like have like a railing like you cut you know where you want to be you know who you want to be at least the direction now like since you've been older and you made all these decisions but i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but i'm just saying do you feel as if like there's something there that has helped you really develop who you are as a person because your job is a job but you as a human being as a person your spiritual person, your body, whatever it is, I feel like, have you been able to really identify that type of person who you want to be in the future or who you're growing to be? Anything like that? I think Dr. Nelson is, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's probably way farther along that journey than I am just based on age alone. So it's pretty hard for me to compare myself to him, but (laughs) I agree. He has a, a really strong sense of self and like knows who he is and at least has some idea of why he's here or what he's supposed to do and i think learning that process like learning yourself and learning why you're here is part of the journey and for me to say that i figured that out is one would be a lie but two (laughs) (laughs) would be pretty naive especially given how you know, like where I am in that journey. Um, but I agree, like doing trips like this are like give you a lot of time for reflection, for introspection and like, talking to people like in Haiti or other places um, similar to Haiti, give you a chance to think about yourself and like step outside yourself for however long that you're here. And sometimes afterwards too, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the reason why I love them. It's just like, a chance to be really intentional and reflective and um, just like give yourself to other people without having to think about things that you would otherwise have to think about if you were back home. Yeah. And your experience here, um, you've been on plenty of mission trips before, for sure, 100%. Right. Uh, This one, of course, is a little bit more orthopedic surgery heavy in comparison to all these other mission trips that you've done. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) so it's super exciting, really fun, I'm assuming. Yeah, you've learned a lot. Uh, but so let's um, can you tell me what you thought you expected from this little trip that you had um, compared to what you've actually been through here? So the first thing that um, I expected was to eat rice, beans and plantains and eggs <laughs> for two weeks. And I've had four course meals, <laughs> the Tavita chef, and national star. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but on, what's that? Oh, yeah. Um, but then, okay, <laughs> and, then, and then what else? Um, but, like, from a clinical perspective, I think <laughs> um, I was expecting to do a lot less surgery. Um, mm. I, I just based on my past experience, I think that 
most of the mission trips are a lot of like clinic heavy and generating a surgical base. And then towards like the end of the trip, when you build up that base, then you can start operating more. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if it's a reflection of the patient population that's here or the particular problems that the patients are facing here or the fact that Dr. Nelson is he like here permanently. And yeah. so he has like, he has a surgical population that he's already established or some combination of those three things. But um, the experience here has been way more operative, heavy and full of learning than I could have possibly imagined. It's been incredible, really. And let's talk about that surgical room. Okay. So uh -huh. that OR and that surgical room is pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So I was like, so even when I look at it, I go like, this is fully stocked. This is, <laughs> this is like, this is first world OR status right now. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. Um, he definitely has more supplies than I was expecting. Um, in some ways is better stocked than some of the hospitals that I work at, but in other ways, there's a lot of things that they have to be more conscious about, um, reusing things, limiting the amount of time that they need to sterilize things because there's so many cases that they have to do. Mm. Um, the fact that they don't have the ability to flash materials, which means they like sterilize them quickly. Um, so they have to be intentional about the order of cases, the cases that they use. They only have one C arm. Um, so it means that they have to think about which cases can go in which order so that they can use x-ray during procedures because they can't use x-ray in two rooms or three rooms at the same time. Yeah. Um, and all of that makes it uh, different than, than the operative experience that you have in the U.S. or other mm -hmm. more developed countries, but um, it also makes it more exciting and helps you or makes you sit down and think a little bit more critically about cases mm. in ways that you don't necessarily have to do in the States. And I think it makes me a better surgeon. I know it makes Dr. Nelson a better surgeon and he feels like operating here is, isn't a burden. It's like a, a gift. It's something that has grown his operative experience and his skills, uh, which is incredible if you think about it. Yeah. Man, that guy, every single time, it doesn't matter where he is, what he's doing, you know that he's doing more than he should be, like fixing C-arms uh, <laughs> right before surgery. <laughs> and I'm like, don't you have this this morning? He's like, yeah, but I'll get it done. And he has this like laptop open and he's like, they're fiddling with like the electrical things. And you're like, what are you doing? Like one surgeon, one resident came in. He's like, yeah, I saw him scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush. Yeah. And then the other time you see turn around, he, he's like trimming some hedges. But I think it's because like, uh, in my opinion, he feels like this is his home. This is like his yeah, house. Like definitely. you, you try to do something in the hospital or improve it. He's all for it. He'll back you. He'll support you. He'll do whatever he possibly can to help you do it. It what he wants to do for himself. Right. And I think like that to me, in my opinion, makes the surgical room, like that whole hospital run a lot more efficiently, especially in his, it's in his section yeah, he's like really, really particular. But the weirdest thing that I've noticed is like his his ability to not be as frustrated as I would have been. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, how yeah. in the world are you so calm? Didn't you just wait an hour for something you told them to organize before we started surgery? Yeah. 
and he's just like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to do it now. We'll just go and tell them later. It's like, <laughs> what? Like, we'll just have another meeting or we'll talk about it. But you know for sure it's going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah, he's super patient, which helps. I think you have to have that mindset here. Otherwise, you would go. <laughs> Did you have any experiences like that? Uh, yeah, definitely. But I, I don't think that's unique to Haiti. I think there are similar <laughs> things that happen all over the world. Yeah. Um, and you just need to be patient. But it's definitely uh, setbacks like that like cost a lot more time here because there's a lot uh, more narrow margin for error than there are in other places because you have – this buffer of all these resources and extra staff and time, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so here, uh, you know, missing something in a set or um, forgetting to move a patient somewhere takes a lot more effort and coordination. And so if something falls through the cracks, uh, it just backs up your day that much more. So luckily he's got plenty of things to do. So yeah, <laughs> if, yeah, something, and he's, yeah. if something happens, he's got something to occupy himself with. But uh yeah, any he is very patient, which is super helpful in this situation. Have you become a little bit more patient as well? Uh, I or try. I try to be more zen. I think being <laughs> around him is helpful. Yeah. it calms you down. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, we'll, and we'll then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll wait and see. But so we talked about your school. We talked about your education. We've talked about like your experience here in the clinic. Now, one thing that I would like to ask is: Do you think that this type of mission work or humanitarian stuff like residents should actually think about doing because this is your off time right so you only right. have like how much time off like a month or right yeah you so you have one month off <laughs> i don't know how i knew that and whatever i think you mentioned it maybe i don't know <laughs> so you have only like this little block of time off after oh. all this hard work and um now you're deciding to use this time to mm -hmm. come out here um and i know you probably might say like it's worth it or whatever it is but to a person that's like looking in because what did you see when you're about to come to haiti you're like dangerous kidnapping right. murder right. like craziness <laughs> and you're like yeah mm -mm, that sounds like me <laughs> it's like what so like when somebody's looking at it like what would your advice be to somebody maybe not this place but maybe like another uh place to go shadow during like their off season or whatever it is i don't know what it's yeah. called what is it called vacation or elective time or elective whatever. time okay so do you have any advice to somebody that may be listening that might be interested in something like that yeah i think the experience that you get in a place like haiti or any other developing country is unique enough that um i don't <laughs> i don't think that the problems that haiti is facing are necessarily unique in the world and so if you're going to any other developing country, um, there's going to be similar dangers probably that you're going to or people are going to express to you. And so you just have to weigh those risks with the upside of your clinical experience when you actually get there, which I think is something unique enough that to me, it's personally worth it to come to a place like this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll do procedures in cases that you won't see anywhere else in the world. You'll see pathology that is progressed to a point that most patients in other places either have the means or the resources to address before it gets to the point that you would see a patient here. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, this is some of the best learning that you can do, but it's also uh, a clinical experience that I think is unlike any other in that patients are so appreciative of what you do and it's very refreshing is part of the reason why anyone goes to medical school or becomes a doctor in the first place is just like a breath of fresh air every time you talk to a patient 
even if it's not even if it's through a translator or through broken creole or french or whatever, yeah <laughs> however whatever means you have of communicating with them mm -hmm. um it's just a totally different experience it's totally unique and i think it's something that everyone should do at some point during their career well that's amazing well also on the whole talking thing you speak french mm. you know like clear french like no not clear is amazing french <laughs> <laughs> like broken french yeah i speak very broken french okay yeah. so then that helped you a lot because creole was like this mix between french and you knew this ahead of time yeah yeah so i i didn't know that, that creole was actually as close to the french language as it is um i was under the impression that they were two like totally different languages but the more you listen to it and the more you see it written the more similarities that you see between the two languages. And I think definitely knowing French is more beneficial than not knowing any French. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it's still really challenging to communicate with people uh, here. Yeah. Even if you didn't know French, mm -hmm. it's still worth it? To come here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just because I want to make sure that anybody that's listening can be like, hey, you can still do it. Oh, yeah. Even if you don't know it, if you go to China or Taiwan or anywhere else, India, it's still going to be worth it to go and definitely. see yeah. the I, world. I, don't, I think you definitely do not need to speak the language in most settings that you go to for any sort of outreach. I think the people that you connect with beforehand, either obviously speak English, otherwise you would have no way of communicating with them. Yeah. Or um there's some sort of translation service or you can teach yourself the like 50 words that you probably need to know to effectively communicate with most patients for whatever specialty you're working in so like for orthopedics that'd be like coming back to clinic or like what happened mm -hmm. or like fall or broken and then like the names of a few bones and surgical instruments and you're good to go for like at least 40 percent of conversation wow see see it's not too bad <laughs> <laughs> That's not too bad. You just have to be a surgeon. But I can attest that you don't actually have to be a surgeon. You can do whatever it is and just come in with an open heart and at least try to do something. Um, but the surgeon actually, surgery helps because I do see you with residents. And so they're learning off of you as much as you're learning off of them, yeah. right? Yeah. It's more of a teamwork instead of I'm here and I'm going to do everything and you listen to me. It's like, no, I'm here and you're there too. You're here as well. Let's work together because I can see that when I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know surgery. I don't know anything. Okay. I'm an idiot when it comes down to anything. But when I come into the room, I don't feel like there's like this hierarchy. I Definitely just feel not. like you're, you guys are teamwork. So you're just trying to like feed off of each other. There's roasting that happens, which is nice and comfortable <laughs> <laughs> and constant, Yeah, <laughs> that's good. which is good. But what is your opinion on that? Oh, uh, I think working with the residents has been like one of the, that is one surprise on, on this trip. I didn't know that there were going to be Haitian residents here, but it's been one of the biggest upsides, in my opinion. I've learned a ton from them, um, both like from the language and from a clinical perspective, and just like about Haiti. And they're just they're amazing. They're like my co-residents back home, except they live here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. And then I think that also, in my opinion, brings up another thing, which is like humanity. Mm. I'm like trying to go through these like stages with my, but like humanity, we're really not that different. And this is like one big point that I have, at least in my personal life. It's like, we're not that different. Yeah. We're all people. We're all human, whether they call you blanc or whether they don't. Blanc means white. <laughs> <laughs> they call me white too. Look at me. I'm brown. <laughs> Draw but, blanc. Yeah. They call me blanc. As much as they call him blah, 
Um, but we all know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm more, I'm more blah. You know, um, but even regardless of skin color, whatever, where we're coming from, I've actually seen way more similarities. And even just talking to people, like people, even if they don't speak the language, there's like these little ticks that are like really consistent around the whole world, yeah. whether they're trying to be sly or slick or they're trying to be cool or whatever. Like all of that all translates physically and you can see it in their face. You can see it in their body language and what they're trying to do. So to me, I go like humanity is actually pretty the same. Right. And at least that's my, that's my perspective on it. But what is your perspective? Cause the residents, it seemed that they're the same. Everybody's the same. Same type of things, same types of struggles, yeah. <laughs> same oh, yeah, types definitely. of difficulties. Like, in perspective-wise, you're like, oh, you went through that pain? Oh, me too. <laughs> uh, there's, like, this understanding between residents, like, in the U.S., like, between subspecialties. You're like, oh, like, you're a resident, I'm a resident too. Like, you get it. Like, <laughs> And it, immediately when you saw the Haitian residents, it was, like, the same understanding. It was like, oh, yeah, we're going through the same thing. That's good. Yeah, we're in the right. same thing. But... Yeah, I totally agree. Like talking to patients in clinic, like patients who only speak Creole, like didn't understand anything I was saying in French. And so it's pretty incredible the amount of information that you can convey to someone without speaking any (laughs) overlapping language at all. Just like looking at someone's facial expressions, looking at their body language, looking at you'd have to like mime or gesture through some conversations, but you can still glean a lot from people without actually communicating with them which is pretty cool. And then the other thing, I think, always going back to surgery, but the other thing that you immediately notice when you walk into an OR is the same in Haiti as it is anywhere else in the world that I've been, where everyone has the same roles, everything's set up the same way. And so I felt more, I've probably felt more comfortable in the OR here than I have anywhere else. Wow. Which is interesting because you would think that you know like being at your house alone or like doing things like with other like americans in the area would make me feel more comfortable but being in the or even with only other haitians or like a totally creole speaking staff is probably the place that i was most comfortable because i knew my role and everyone else knew knew theirs and like i knew where things were they're all set up the same way the same like scrub process and gowning process and sanitization process and everything is the same throughout the world and the anatomy for Haitians <laughs> is the same as shocker anywhere else in the world too the so skin's thicker the skin's <laughs> thicker <laughs> that is true. their skin is much tougher and their bones are much harder um but yeah the surgery is the same and so um you know everything that i learned back home can easily be applied here to help people which is why i'm here right yeah <laughs> i know it's that was really fascinating and the that was pretty much all the uh, questions that i wanted to answer for myself when i was just thinking about it like residents and all that other stuff um is there anything that you would like to say just like in general or something that you would something something that you pulled or gleaned from because we always have that special patient there's always that one mm-hmm. right and then there's always that one moment you're like wow like wow that like makes everything make sense (laughs) why didn't i do this earlier like do you have any of those two moments i don't really have like aha moments i've never like had that like light bulb or that like epiphany Mm -hmm. that some other people talk about like at at any point that i can think of but um and i can think of like 
dozens of patients since I've been here that have like will change the way I practice and have taught me so much. So I don't want to take up like, you know, an hour's worth of time, but there is something that I do want to know. And th that is how do you make your cherry glaze recipe for your waffles? I don't know if that counts. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't count for anything for me, but I'm sure everyone else would be way more interested to hear about that than anything that I have to say. This guy found, well, we we found some cherries on we the did. side of the street on the street market, and he was like, "Oh, I know exactly what to do with those." And I was like, yeah, "This guy, okay." <laughs> and then the next night, we were sitting there, and he's like, "Oh, I've I have a dessert surprise for everyone," and he pulls out homemade waffles and this like <laughs> cherry glaze. Everyone was like fighting. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's like totally civil people. Who are, like, <laughs> arm wrestling each other <laughs> to try to get to the last scraps. So I want to know how you made it. Uh, how I made a cherry. I don't know. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, all I did is I took the Haitian cherries, uh -huh. which are organic and awesome and amazing. And all I did is I took 450 grams. Why do I sound like a weirdo? 450 grams of cherry by weight. And then I put it in with sugar, which is uh, two, uh, two fourths of sugar inside there which is almost a cup and i just mixed it and then after i mixed it i just cooked it all the way down for about 15 minutes 30 minutes 20 20 30 minutes and then all i did is strained it and then everybody loved it it's true <laughs> all you need is delicious haitian, haitian cherries street cherries yeah street cherries and a, cu <laughs> a cup of sugar in 30 minutes yeah oh and honestly that street market was amazing right yeah yeah, I've never Bro. been called Blanc so much so in 30 minutes. Much. <laughs> and it was actually, like, really colorful, super beautiful. People are generally nice. Yeah. No, everyone is super nice. They yeah. just call you Blanc. Yeah, they call you Blanc. There was one lady screaming, but she was actually saying kind of something kind of interesting. <laughs> like, you'll come in you'll come in and not buy anything or <laughs> whatever she was saying, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but the food's all, like, really fresh and colorful and the people are nice. It was a really cool experience. Oh, good. And so that would be your advice is like. Yeah, if you come to Haiti, go to the street market. Go to the street market and, and then. Find yourself a Tavita. <laughs> and then get some cherries <laughs> and then make the waffles and the cherry juice. Well, thanks. And I just wanted to say like really, really, really big thank you to Ryan for letting me do an interview. Literally, I didn't tell him. I just <laughs> jumped in and I was like, hey. He, just, he started firing up the. <laughs> yeah, I was like, as I was looking. <laughs> yeah, I was like, look at these surgical videos. Can you give me an opinion on these surgical videos? And I was like, oh, this is a good time to do a podcast. David, you can get everything all set up because we all know before you leave, which is on Thursday, he's leaving on Thursday, which is a couple days, um, it'll be really hard for you to get like oriented because it was a big break we had we had basketball and everything so i was like sure. this is definitely going to be a good time to do an interview mm -hmm. where you're still happy and you had a lot of sun That's true. <laughs> got a couple workouts in yeah yeah, yeah. Good. you're feeling great and then uh and then i then i just hammer right down to the <laughs> podcast well anyway thank you so much for your time and i will hopefully see you on the next one peace bet.